What I hope for today is that we do not leave through this Easter weekend the same way as we walked in. So in order to do that, we're going to need a Bible. So why don't you take your Bibles out? If you don't have one, don't worry about it. We'll bring one to you. Just raise your hand. We got a team coming down the aisle. We'll bring one to you. I'll give you the page number. You'll say, I don't know my way around the Bible. It doesn't matter. I will give you the page number and you can follow along. Um, also take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door because I have a fill in the blank that I want to give to you here in a moment. But I entitled today's message, All the Difference, and talking about how the resurrection, which is really the Easter story, how the resurrection has changed everything. So let me begin with a couple concepts as you're waiting for your scripture. Easter or resurrection weekend is a celebration of transformation when Jesus came back to life. Now, for a lot of us, we're very familiar with that, but we also need to realize it's not an isolated story. The Bible is full of stories of something becoming something else. Jesus would tell small stories and he would say things like, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will not produce other seeds and it will not produce the plant that it was supposed to make. He'll say things like, when we transition from this life to the next, these bodies are not equipped to operate in that environment, so they must change. There's so much talk about something becoming something else. So that got me thinking, and I thought, well, how much in the Bible is talked about new? I feel like as I've been reading through the years, I keep running into this idea of new stuff. That God creates new things, that God expects new things, that God demands new things. So I literally went into a Bible program and typed in the word new. And when you type in the word new through the Logos program, it throws up every time it's ever used in scripture. So I went through every one of them line by line. And I found out some rather fascinating information. First thing I noticed is that God demands new things for his work. He demands new items to be used in movements that he does. Let me give you an example. When in the Old Testament you needed to bring an offering before God of grain, it had to be new grain. It had to be new wine. As a matter of fact, when the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember that gold box that was Indiana Jones was after, you guys remember? When that was to be transported, it had to be on a new cart with new cows. I kept looking and I thought, wait a second, there's more of these. When there were items used for miracles, a lot of times it had to be a new item. God said, I expect and demand that you sing me a new song. And then I realized, even when we got to the Easter story, Jesus was laid in a certain kind of tomb. Do you remember what kind it was? It was a new tomb that no one had ever been laid in before. And so I thought, wait a second, so God, when he's doing a movement or a work in this world, he demands that new things many times are used. So I thought, all right, well, what else did I find? Well, I also found this other huge category is that God designs new things for his creation. It's his joy to bring newness of life. It says that God will bring that new song to our mouths, new works in our lives. He will provide us with new heavens and a new earth. His compassions are new every morning. He provides a new covenant in his blood and he will give his children a new name. He states in Revelation that in the end he will make all things new. So God expects new things. God creates new things. Unfortunately, that leaves us with a dilemma. 
Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke? It's page 728, Luke chapter 5, verse 36. If you drop your Bible open in the middle, you're going to go to the right. So quite a ways to the right, you end up hitting Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's where we need to be. Luke chapter 5, verse 36. We have a bit of a problem because we're not new. And if God wants new things to do his work in, where does that leave us? Luke chapter 5, verse 36, page 728. Jesus told them this parable. He said, no one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it to an old one. If he does, he would have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. Not only that, but when you wash it, you remember that certain things shrink and expand. As a matter of fact, the new patch will shrink and expand at a different rate. and It just won't work. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, meaning when it ferments, it will begin to expand, but the old skin has already stretched to its capacity. So the new wine will burst it, it says. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And thus is our dilemma. If God demands new things for his work, what then is to be done with mankind? Here's the question. Are you new? Do you have a new vessel that God may fill? The reason why I like that question better is that too many of our discussions about God and about Jesus Christ and this whole idea that we've heard about getting saved... And all the pamphlets people try to hand you, we get into a debate like this. In our minds, we keep shifting back to a, I'm a good person. We, we play a game of, I need to do more good things than I do bad things, then I can go to heaven. Or we say things like, if I don't do this, or I do this, then I'll get to heaven. And we keep talking about, there are certain activities that we must increase in order to get there. But that's not at all what the Bible says. The Bible says you need to be new. How are you going to solve that one? Because that's really the issue. We say, but I'm good. Heaven isn't for good people. Heaven is for forgiven people. That's a big difference. You must be new to contain what God is about to make. So are you new? Well, If God demands it, God never demands something he will not provide. So that's the good news. The good news is that God can make you a new one. Now, the Bible says that if we submit ourselves into his hands, he will give us a new heart, a new spirit. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone and all things have become what? New. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Jesus changed the world. Has he changed you? Jesus changed the world. Has he changed you? We must make it personal. Otherwise, we could care less what we're talking about today. Let's turn in Luke once again to chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 1. It's page 748. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Page seven, four, eight. Let me give you the setup. Here's basically how it goes. 
2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ comes into this world. Now, right there, some of us in this room said, that's garbage. He really didn't. He's not a real guy. Easter Bunny, Jesus. All right? Well, and that's, that's very possible. Now, I'm staking my whole life that he is real. However, I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I should be pitied because I'm a moron. Right? I get that. And I should be pitied in the sense of I'm kind of wasting my life because if I don't know if you guys know what I do for a living. All right. I'm kind of wrapped into this thing. All right. So I made a terrible, terrible mistake if Jesus isn't legitimate. However, if I'm right. Then everyone has a concern. Because God is trying to get in touch with you. And if your God is trying to get in touch with you, what are you going to do about that? So 2000 years ago, Jesus shows up and he lives a 30 year lifespan. Perfect. Enters into a ministry for three years, does that perfect. And approximately around 33 years of age, he's crucified. We know this story. This is kind of the one that's put on everything else. We always see the cross. Everyone wears it around their neck, right? So we know the whole cross incident. Now, Jesus said that he was dying for the sins of mankind, that he might make them new. That was the whole point. That's the good news. And that's really why it's so exciting. Well, on Friday, he dies. He's in the tomb. On the third day, that's Sunday, resurrection day, he raises again. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. But we need to back up in order to understand the power of the story. So our story begins with Jesus after hanging on the cross, all his friends are now around him. Not all of them, but many of them. Mostly the women. The women seem to be a lot tougher than the guys. The women huddled around the cross. John was there. Everyone else is at the distance. And they basically watched what they could see from the outside that Jesus bled to death. So there's their buddy, their Lord, their master, their rabbi. And he dies for no reason in their minds. The Jews actually, when they went to kill him, he said, for which of these miracles do you stone me? And they said, well, not for any of your miracles, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So Jesus died because he claimed to be God. They knew it. He knew it. So they killed him. Now, two guys get the body, Joseph and Nicodemus. They take the body down and they go and do their little anointing embalming thing by wrapping it in linen, putting spices on it. And they take it to Joseph's tomb that's brand new. No one's ever been put in there. The way those tombs work is you had a hinge point where you would roll a big rock in front of it so you could seal it. That was it. The Roman Empire didn't want any of this baloney about, oh, he raised from the dead. So they seal it and put guards outside. That's where we pick up our story. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Let's read it and see what the Bible has for us. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women, they wanted to see him one more time. They took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They were going to need somebody to roll the stone back for them because it was really, really heavy. But they found the stone rolled away. So somebody messed with the tomb. Someone moved the rock. That's a bit troubling. When they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to him, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. He told you the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, meaning the disciples, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. But they, the apostles, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like what? Nonsense. Peter, and we learn later John as well, however, got up, ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. Let's make it personal again. Let's say, for example... You are away from this whole church thing, you're at home, and your world has collapsed internally. Outside, everything's going fine. You're able to make your mortgage, the kids are safe, but you start considering what you've done with your life. You have no way in your mind of securing what is next. What's next is the afterlife. You don't know anything about it, you don't know what you're going to do about it. And if there is a heaven, you're not quite sure exactly what to do with that. As you begin to ponder this, you begin to realize you're almost embarrassed by what you've become. Because your life does not have meaning. And there's a sadness. As you begin to look out, you look in your resource bag and there is nothing that you can do about it. Then all of a sudden you show up to church, right? You show up today. Now, the only reason you're here is because you think that Jesus is a big deal or someone invited you that thinks that Jesus is a big deal. So you come into church and you start hearing a bunch of nonsense. Right? Isn't that what it is? I mean, isn't that what it sounds like? You walk in, I start talking about Jesus is real and Jesus rose again from the dead and we all know that doesn't happen. Right? So you start hearing all this garbage. You could just stop there and go home the same. But I beg of you this. You got to do what Peter and John did. They heard it, sounded stupid, but they ran to check it out. They ran and did a little CSI on their own, right? Check the tomb, check the linens, right? Running under a scanner, something like that. And their answer was, I don't know. I don't know, but I've got to figure this thing out. But the story doesn't stop there. As a matter of fact, it goes on to kind of a weird one that only seems that Luke records. Two of the followers of Jesus are now walking to another town, a town called Emmaus. As they're walking along the road, Jesus, now in a different form where they couldn't tell it was him, that was kind of a, if you want to say like a, uh, kind of a spiritual block that he gave them. They couldn't see him as to who he was. They just thought it was some guy. This guy walks up on the road and he says, Hey guys, what are you talking about? You look pretty sad. And they said, Well, this is like the worst day ever. I don't you must be from out of town because I don't know how you don't know this. So our best friend, this guy that we followed, and some of us followed for three years, we thought he was gonna be everything, but wow, what a disappointment. I mean, so I thought he was going to fix everything. I thought he was going to be this big master of Israel and we were going to be wonderful again. And no, that didn't happen. But you know what? I love that guy with all my heart. Now he's gone. Some of our ladies, they run to where he was buried and he's missing. Our whole day is just shot. 
We don't know what to do. It's funny, Jesus' response to him, he said, wow, that's a pretty foolish response. Didn't you know that's how it's supposed to go? I mean, this guy, right? I know what you're talking about. Don't you remember? This guy always talked about that's exactly how it had to go. That was the point. Die for the sins, then he's going to come back to life. You guys remember that story? And it says, and he began to tell them through scriptures what was going on. They still didn't quite get it, so they're walking along, and they said, you've got to stay overnight with us. You've got to hang out and have dinner with us. He says, all right. He goes in there, and they, start, they serve the night meal, and he starts to break bread and pass it out. And they went, wait, you're... And he's gone. That's where we pick up the story next. Verse 33. They got up and they returned once to Jerusalem. These two guys. They found the eleven, the apostles, and those with them assembled together. And they said, it's true. The Lord's risen and he's appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about it, Jesus stood among them. That would freak me out. And he said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It's me. Touch me. You can see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet, obviously showing them the the marks of the cross. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. Verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. All right. So the story moves forward. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up in a very recognizable state. Very. It's it's extraordinary in the sense of how he got there. But they're touching him and he looks exactly like they left him. Now he's a little washed. But really, he still got all the damage, all the marks, all the crown marks. They still get to see him and they go, oh, I know you. Now you're back alive. That's exciting. What's intriguing is that when the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, after they saw Jesus, they said, we knew it. Our hearts were burning the whole time. But they didn't do anything about it. So I'm going to ask you this. Are your hearts burning that you know that what I'm saying is right? And when you do see Jesus in the end, are you going to go, I knew it. If you knew it, you'd do something about it. You don't know it. You think so. All of a sudden, Jesus starts showing up in your life in a little bit more tangible, recognizable ways. He puts other believers around your life and you start examining that throughout your life, you've seen hinge points where God has contacted you. Oh, I should have died in this accident. Oh, what if I had this loss? And this is the only time I felt comforted. And oh, this. And And we start seeing this whole pattern of God chasing after you. What are you going to do about that? Because it does seem that your creator is interested in you. Now, this is not what Jesus looks like today. As a matter of fact, he looks extraordinarily different. Would you turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation? It's page 867, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. If you've been with us last year, you're having flashbacks. We did this whole book last year, just about killed all of us. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, page 867. 867. This is Jesus' best friend. 
the one who ran to the tomb with Peter, he sees Jesus as he is now. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, I was on the island of Patmos. He was exiled there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, verse 12. I turned around to see a voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Wow, that's a different looking guy. What happened? He was glorified. He went back to what he looked like before the manger. He's glorified in the state that he reigns right now. And he said, well, that's, that's amazing. What does that have to do with me? Because the Bible says that you're going to look like him. How exactly is that going to happen? Because his body was made new. And the Bible says that as you submit yourself into his life, you too will be made new. Our body will be like him, just as we have an earthly body like our father, Adam. So, too, when we leave this life, we'll get a new body to look like Christ. When God is done with you, your friends are going to have a hard time recognizing you. He's got that much work to do. So we think to ourselves and we go, well, what's that going to look like? How's that going to work? You know, it was interesting because um, in preparation for this lesson, I started rereading the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Anybody ever read that book? That's a, that's... If you have any interest at all or an inkling towards the intellectual side, this guy's brilliant. You literally have to keep stopping and going, wow, he's really smart. And what's so great about him is after you don't understand what he said, he gives you an example and you go, oh, that's why I like him. So C.S. Lewis, he's writing through this. He said, have you ever read that phrase in the Bible that says, be perfect for I am perfect? He said, that's a really unsettling phrase. We don't like that because even though he may mean you don't get into heaven unless you're perfect. So that's why we need Jesus. Even though he may mean that what we feel emotionally is we keep thinking he's saying, unless you're perfect, I want nothing to do with you. He said, that's not at all what he said. What he more likely meant was, if you give yourself over to me and submit yourself into my hands, that's what I'm going for. I'm going for perfection. And I will not stop until I get you there. Now, if that's the case, then when you hand yourself over to Jesus Christ, he's going to do more than what you want. Because here's what we want. What we want is Jesus to come into our life and fix a particular sin. We want him to cure us from a particular problem that's troublesome in our daily life. We would name something that's screwing up our marriage, or we'd name something that's screwing up our work life, or we'd name one of those things, and we go, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to fix that. And once he fixes it, you go, that's cool. Now step out of my face. Get away from me. 
But Jesus will not do that. If he is in, he is in. And he's going to get you there. He will do far more than you ever bargained for. Oh, indeed, he will cure that problem. But he will continue on. Because when he is within you, he will begin to emerge and push outwardly. And as he pushes outwardly, it begins to push the garbage out of your life. So, let's make it a bit more practical again. There are some of us that are engaging with this Jesus Christ concept for the first time. I want you to ponder this. For those of us that have been believers for a while, let me ask you this. Is there anything new in you? Or are we still looking back ten years? Oh, ten years ago, God did this in my life. Ten years ago, I really, really changed. That's not good enough. Jesus Christ is to be emerging out of you on a daily basis. What new song are we going to sing today? Is he still pushing out? And you know what? When he pushes out in you, it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It hurts. And you know what? Quite frankly, just like the sweat that's coming out of your glands, it stinks. It's embarrassing is what it is. Because God is still pushing outwardly and other people are beginning to notice it. And we don't like that. But he will purify us because God did not come to make nice people. God came to make creatures into sons and daughters of God. That's a whole different ballgame. Because what we think is once we're nice enough, we want him to back off. God, I'm nice. I get it. I get it. All right. All right. All right. I'll be nice to other people. Now leave me alone. Oh, I didn't come to make you nice. I came to make you different. I came to make you someone and something I can live in. What kind of house do you think God wants to live in? You think he will be content with what is inside us right now? Now, he is here to make us all together different, to make us the sort of being that can obey the command, be perfect, for I am perfect. Now, he's not going to get that done before we die. But he's going to get us as close as he can with the time that we have. But what it means is, for us to be transformed into him, we have to let go of ourselves. And that we do not like. We think that we will lose ourselves, and indeed we will. To some degree, out of ourselves into Christ we must go. Right? And we think to ourselves, well, that's, that sounds miserable. What? Then we're all the same. Look at us, right? Oh, I gotta be one of those stupid Christian Bible beater people. No. You will be more you than you ever imagined. He said, here's how I see it. In trying to describe this to people that don't understand me, he said, I, it's almost like trying to describe what light is like to a bunch of cave dwellers or people that have always been in darkness for their whole existence. They've never seen light before. And they said, what would it be like? And he said, well, once you step out in the light, this light will refract off you and it will shape you. And you will see how much variation there is between all of you. Because in the dark, you all look the same. But once you step into Jesus, the real you emerges out. And you went, that's what you look like. He said, or it's, it's like trying to describe cooking with salt to a child 
that you say, well, I put salt in these different meals. And they say, well, what's it taste like? And you give him a little bit of salt and he goes, all your meals taste like that? You go, no, 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 no. The salt is sprinkled in and it brings out the natural flavor that's already baked in there. The real you will emerge with Jesus. I want you to examine your life right now and to realize there's a lot more Jesus that needs to come out. That I know for so many of us, we are content where we're at. God is not okay with where you're at. When we see troubles and difficulties, we don't understand. God, I'm good. But that was never the point. The point was to be perfect and to be brand new. Praise the Lord that we have good news. That Jesus Christ has offered to you that He will do the work. We must submit our lives into His hands that He would remold us, refashion us, take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And continue to push outwardly on who we are that the impurities would be removed and we would look more like our king amen we're going to pray and here's what we're going to do if you are hearing and engaging with this and you said never before have i been so drawn to the lord i'm going to give you an opportunity while we're praying to raise your hand and i'm going to pray for you After that, for those of us that are Christians, I'm going to ask you, there needs to be a lot more Jesus emerging out of you. If this is a time when you said, Lord, press once again upon me that I might look like you, I'm going to give you a chance to be prayed for as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would hear us today, hear the cries of our heart. That there are some of us here, Lord, that want to cry out to you and we want to seek the will of our God. We want to know that you care for us and love us, while at the same time we are very aware of our current condition. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot change ourselves. And so we submit ourselves to you. If you would like to receive Jesus Christ and hand over your life to him and begin this journey today, I want you to raise your hand right where you're sitting. And I will pray for you. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give our lives to you afresh right now. We want to chase after you. We are embarrassed by what we have become. We are embarrassed by what we have. And we need you. We have come to the end of ourselves and we must begin with you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would sweep us off our feet, carry us up into your arms and change us. Set us free. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from the garbage that we have and make us like you. For the rest of us, if you have a desire to submit yourself into God's hands afresh today, that he may transform you. Raise your hand and I pray for you.
Heavenly Father, the rest of us, we submit our lives to you and we ask, God, would you press once again upon the inside that you'd get out all of this that we're hanging on to. That, Lord, that we would emerge from this weekend more holy, more righteous in your sight because we're just soft in your hands. Lord, there's so many uh, escapisms and addictions and garbage that we're hanging on to because it makes us deal with this world better. Can we hand that to you today? And that you would clean us up. And that you'd help us to walk a different way. That each and every day, this week, and moving forward, we would look more and more like your son. We submit ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name we pray.